folks, it's 4 p.m. Central. This is Thursday, so it's got to be Pillars of Franchising, Broadcasting the Secrets of Success in Franchising. I'm Fred McMurray, and my co-host is Ray Pillar and Holly A. Ford. Ray and Holly, how are you doing? Doing great. Awesome. Good day. It's a beautiful day. So, folks, let's, let's get... We got a big show. We got a really big show today. I'm really pumped about this show. So let's get through our 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 weather talk. I can tell you, it's the June gloom in April. It's overcast, foggy, and chilly here. Which in Chicago, of course, is or Cincinnati, it's picnic weather, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah you're absolutely. you're in heaven there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, ladies Actually, first, Holly. 70- what's the weather? Go ahead, Ray. Go ahead. And jump in there. Go for it. I just got to jump in, you know. It's 73 degrees. It's beautiful, sunny. It's absolutely gorgeous out here in the in the Midwest in Aurora, Illinois. And Holly, how's it out where you are at? Well, we have leaves and pollen. It's been on and off sunny today, but like, you know, 70 degrees, 65 to 70. And uh, it's, it's, oh, it's beautiful. I love it. Yep. So will it from. be nice? Will it be nice next week when I'm in Chicago? No. Of course. Because <laughs> you'll be there. <laughs> because you'll be here. It won't be nice. Sorry. Oh, Fred. okay. That's fair enough. I'm okay. Oh, wait. With that. Were you talking You'll about probably the get weather? Another snowstorm. <laughs> <laughs> I know. If it's before May 6th, there's always a possibility of snowstorm in Chicago. I've been there for them. That is correct. Um, so what's my odds next week? Uh, of a snowstorm? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. Pretty good because you're going to be in town. Yeah, you know, Fred, you're going to have that little black cloud thing. Do you remember Schleprock? Where the little cloud followed him. He says, lousy, lousy, woo-woo, and the rain comes down on him. Yeah, I hope the lightning bolts hit both of you. That That, that works for me. <laughs> All right, let's get to this show. Enough of the weather. So, you know, you remember who our second guest was, Ray? I do. You mean today? Who was our who second, our second guest? guest? No, who was oh, our second guest? I mean, that's... The, our, our second no, I... show, the second guest we ever had on Pillars of Franchising. Who was our second guest? I remember who it is. Do you? And I do. Who was it? You tell me. It was Meg Roberts, <laughs> president of Molly Maid. Yes, and so correct. we have the president of Molly Maid on again today, don't we? We do. But it's not Meg Roberts, is it? It, it is not. Well, then why don't you introduce him so we can figure out what's I happening will, now? I will. I'm waiting for you to tell me. Okay. No, I'm going to let you I, under, I, under. I have the pleasure I'm glad of I'm not under this our next guest. I had also the pleasure of meeting our next guest last weekend, and I am actually actually very uh, uh, pleased and and proud to introduce to you Mary Kay Liston, who is now the uh, president of Molly Maids, and uh, I got to say I'm I'm quite pleased. I'm quite thrilled. She seems to be a very genuine person. So, how's the weather out there, Mary Kay, and where are you where are you calling in from? Hi, folks. I'm 
Delighted to be speaking to you from Ann Arbor, Michigan. This is my first uh, spring in Michigan. I actually moved here in the dead of winter, so it's like Christmas morning because stuff is popping up in my yard like crazy. I have no idea what I'm going to discover in my yard. It's exciting. So you said you moved there in the dead of winter. From where? From Texas, from Waco, Texas. Wow. That had to have been a yeah. shock. <laughs> it was. I, I'm, a, I'm a southern state gal, and I, I did live in, in the snow once. I lived in Massachusetts, and baby Jesus didn't get off the lawn until April, and I said, that's it. I'm never going to live in snow again. And I learned to never say never. <laughs> wow. That must have been a big pay raise to get you to move into snow again. <laughs> It was a lovely winter. <laughs> I'm glad. Oh it's yeah, you're you're starting to sound like a Midwesterner. Oh yeah, it was a wonderful winter. I like the snow. <laughs> so Holly, we'll yeah. let you take the first question. Okay. Hey, Mary Kay. First of all, you you like what you're doing. What have you What have you discovered in Molly Made that that is unique to that concept? Tell us a little bit about it. Wow. Molly Made is a very special company. It's uh, a mature company, 35 years old, and um, the owners who buy a Molly Made stick around. Uh, I, I knew a little bit about the brand because it became part of Neighborly in 2015, but even before that, my sister and my brother-in-law have owned a Molly Made for 12 years. It's been part of the family for quite some time. But one of the things that I, I knew already from talking with my brother-in-law over all these, these past years, but I've discovered that the owners are incredibly supportive of one another. And because that most of them have been in the system for many years, they know one another. They've developed really tight, deep relationships. And, and the folks at Molly Made truly understand that if – the network gets stronger, then their business gets stronger. So they're always pulling for one another. It's an incredible culture. Good. You like it there, it sounds like, then? Yes, I do. I'm having a great time. So did Ray tell you to say that? Uh, never mind. <laughs> I was going to say maybe He's when you met him last weekend, he said, got to say this. It'll set Fred off. Now, do we have to tell our guests that this is pay to play? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Ray, since since this is okay. a, the next and ongoing part of the the Molly, as I like to call them, the Molly Chronicles, go for it. Take your next shot. <laughs> well, I I think one of the things that uh, Mary Mary Kay and I talked about a little bit uh, when we met last weekend was the importance of the culture to uh, and we 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 talked about the uh, franchisee culture, but also the culture with e- within each individual Molly made or or franchise is extremely important and I feel it's even more important today than it was even just a couple of years ago because of the tight employee market that uh, is existing right now. So uh, Mary Kay talked a little bit about that and I I was just wondering, Mary Kay, can you kind of uh, enforce that a little bit of what what we talked about, how important the culture is? Sure, absolutely. (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, 
as a business owner, a, a franchisee is going to set the culture at their company. So I always encourage them to be intentional about it. As you behave, that's how your employees are going to behave. And we're really fortunate to be part of Neighborly because we have a code of values that we live by. Whenever a franchisee and someone from the franchise home office or a franchisee and their folks get together, we start every meeting. When there are three or more, we start every meeting by reciting the code of values. And these are 15 behavior-based values that, um, really inform how we talk to one another, how we re- how we interact with our with our customers, and it's just really helpful to be reminded every day that it's important to treat people with respect, with high integrity. We are customer focused, and we like to have fun in the process as well. So I, I like to say that at Molly Made, we've got great bone structure for a franchise owner. Um, to start to build their culture in their own in their own organization. Absolutely, I, I've seen a lot of companies who have a code of values or something similar to that, but they don't live it. And I think that uh, Dwyer, Neighborly, Molly Maid, I think that we all actually live that code of values. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 there's a significant difference between just talking about it and actually living it. That's right. It's not what's on the wall. It's what you hear in the hall. <laughs> right. Interesting. Oh, I got to write that one down. I kind of like that one. Ooh, that's a good one. Like okay. So, <laughs> since I, I'm going to change things up here, so everybody's been asking past things like that. I want to know about the future. Mm-hmm. What mark? What's what's your goals for for Molly Made? You know, what what a year from now when you're on this show again, um, you're gonna. I'll say so. You know, did you accomplish the goals you set? So what, we're going to put you on the spot. What's your goals for the next year at Molly Maid? <laughs> well, we've had a lot of change at Molly Maid over the last year and a half. We've changed our software program. We're, uh, we're really going screaming into, into the future with technology. And the owners have, uh, have been really patient as, <laughs> as we've rolled out new programs. And, uh, and we're still integrating new programs and new technologies into our, our structure. So by the time we get to next year, when we talk, what I will hopefully be able to say to you is we are tight, we are tight, tight, tight with technology, and we have technology that makes it easier for our customers to find us. It makes it easier for our employees to do their jobs, and it makes it easier for um, for the the owners of the franchises to focus on profitability in their business because we will have all of the technology dialed in. Um, we've, we still have lots of white space to sell, Holly, lots of white space. And, and there used to be a, a misconception that Molly made was sold out in the United States. And I think that came from our owners, not, um, not leaving. <laughs> Owners buy Molly Maid and they, they keep it. Uh, but we do have lots of white space. And filling in the white space is important not only to Molly Maid, but to Neighborly as well as we launch deeper into our Neighborly initiative. But next year, I hope to be able to tell you that we saw record growth, record profitable growth among our franchise network that um, we are best of class in technology and that um, we are poised to 
to talk to the customers however they want to talk to us next year. It's pretty crazy when you think about how powerful the customer's voice is now and, and how they get to choose how they engage with us. So uh, we want to stay on top of that, which we are doing, and, um, and just be poised to continue to grow and grow and grow. That's what we want to do. Mary Kay, let me ask you a few questions about, um, you know, some of the details of the sales, um, the resales. I, I know you have several resales that, that are out there, you know, and as far as, you know, I know I've got a couple of exclusive contracts signed with some of your, your, um, your owners, and they are fantastic. They have great profit margins. Um, they are not a business, like, they, they need to be in the business and get it growing, but then they can literally hire and, and be semi-executive owners. Um, really, just, I think, a fantastic opportunity. I think it's unknown because in what Zarian uh, talks about is the Fab Four franchise industries, and one of those is the service industry. And although Molly Maid is more of a residential service, nevertheless, very high profit margins, and I've seen the numbers, so I, I, I know that's true, um, so why don't you tell us just a little bit, um, if you could, I mean, I know what you can and can't share. You know, I know you have a who's who background in sales yourself. Um, so, so tell us, you know, what you can share about the differentiation of, one, the service industry, but two, your specific Molly May brand. One of the things I love about the service industry is that it's really hard to um, to industrialize us or, or to, um, to Uberize us. You can't do that. We, we deal with real people in their homes. It's a very intimate relationship uh, to, to visit somebody's home every couple of weeks and make it look nice for them. Um, so we'll continue to, to be a people business and, um, and within the, the whole neighborly umbrella, all of our brands are here to enhance and maintain someone's home. So those are services that even though some of the big, um, the Amazons and, and those people in the world and the Googles that have been trying to get into this service industry, it's very difficult to do the last mile. And that's where we need to be in the communities and be relevant in our communities where we can hire the employees um, and grow our business within the, the local community. So, so the service industry, I, I just love. And I, I think we've got a good, solid future in the service industry. With regard to Molly Made, I mean, we've, we've got great name recognition, unaided name recognition. We do these studies every year. And the Molly Made name uh, is a really strong one. It's a great name, has a great reputation. We have a high net promoter score, so we know we're doing something right. Um, what and is so that I think that our okay. score right now is 68, and net promoter score goes from negative 100 to positive 100, and uh, so 68 is a really good solid number, and we're going to continue to focus on that because that really is a measure of um, of how we're taking care of our customers, and we appreciate that. We appreciate that we have that data. Uh, the mm-hmm. the reoccurring revenue model is something that makes us a little different from our brethren in Neighborly, who a lot are in the, the trades and emergency services kinds of things. But the reoccurring model is terrific for building a business and doing what you said, Holly, where you 
you work real hard in the beginning to get your business built up, get a nice solid bedrock going, and then you can hire a general manager to run it for you. You can hire estimators. You can, you know, certainly the, the home service professionals, um, and you need, you know, folks to train them and that sort of thing. But, but because of the recurring revenue, you really have a chance to build a strong bedrock company and then scale it as your advertising works and, and um, your business opportunities grow. Right. And what is, very what is the largest model. number of franchisees uh, or the largest number of franchises that an individual franchisee owns? Talking Boy. about scaling um, and replicating that model. Sure. Uh, we have a, quite a few multi-unit owners. Uh, in fact, in our network, we've got nearly 500 units and 225 owners. So that kind of paints the picture for you. Fantastic. Thank you. Ray? Mm-hmm. One of the things that we talked about last week when we, uh, we had the show, we were talking with uh, a franchise owner who was heavily involved with the ALS Foundation. And so one of the things I'd like to talk to Mary Kay about and get her uh, take on the Miss Molly Foundation, which is a, a uh. thing that one of the things that drew uh, my wife and I to uh, a Molly Maid uh, was the fact that they had this organization going uh, all set up and ready to go for, for the owners to uh, voluntarily take part in. And uh, since you've been with, uh, with, uh, with Molly Maid, what, what are your thoughts on the Miss Molly Foundation? Oh, it is so special. It's remarkable. The Ms. Molly Foundation is a nonprofit that was uh, founded back in the 80s, and the purpose is to support women's shelters in the local communities. It has grown over the years. We've had a number of different individual fundraisers, but the fundraisers mostly happen at the franchise owner level, which is fabulous because that's, again, getting them involved in their community. Uh, We already surpassed $3 million in direct support to the um, shelters and women's support organizations in the local communities. It's terrific. There are ways that franchise owners can participate in a regular basis by um, donating a certain percent of every clean to the Ms. Molly Foundation, so they're raising funds year-round. Others hold individual uh, fundraisers. In October is our focus month for Ms. Molly Foundation. But the letters that we get um, from folks who typically are anonymous, the folks that we support are, um, you know, a lot of times they're in danger, and so they, they can't be real public about about the support they receive, and we certainly respect that. But we hear from folks who've benefited on a regular basis, and it, it's just remarkable what Molly Maid has been able to do in the community to support women in need. So uh, it, 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 it's about uh, domestic violence awareness and, and fostering that awareness. Uh, one of the things I found in the field was basically just mentioning that there is help available for someone who is in in a difficult situation that they can't get out of. So just making people aware that there is help available is one of the most important things that the Miss Molly Foundation does. Yes, that's right. So I'll pick that up. I want to thank, let me thank you, Ray, and your wife for the efforts um, that you have put forth to 
help to support the Ms. Molly Foundation. We appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. It's it's part of who we are, really. Go ahead, Brad. Okay, so I was going to piggyback on that. And, and um, Mary Kay, this isn't your first job with a franchisor. You've been involved with franchises, franchising, franchisors, franchisees for a long, long time. How common is it for a franchisor to have a Miss Molly type foundation or have picked a, a cause to support? The beautiful thing about franchising is that it's not uncommon to have some sort of community support effort um, going on. And at some franchises, it's at the, the home office level, and then it, it actually plays out in the local market. And in some franchises, it's, um, it's just the local, local effort and the passions of the local business owner. But the Franchising Association recognizes these efforts annually, and there are national awards for Franchising Gives Back. In fact, Ms. Molly uh, won it last year, the Enduring, um, enduring oh gosh, what was it called? Uh, the, uh, an award that recognized um, a franchise or and their franchisees who have made a significant contribution over a number of years. But, um, but I know that um, for years and years, Neighborly supported Ronald McDonald House and um, gave a, a, a significant contribution from corporate. But then the real power of giving back in the community was when franchise owners and their employees went and worked at a Ronald McDonald house, you know, did plumbing or did appliance repair or yard work or whatever needed to be done for Ronald McDonald house. So I'm very delighted to tell you it's not uncommon at all, <laughs> but the, the extent and the tenure um, at which Molly made has been able to, to work with the Ms. Molly foundation is truly commendable. Holly. Yes. Go for it. Take the next you want question. Me ask a question. Oh, good. No, I figured you could sing a bit, but you know, I mean, maybe dance or yeah, never mind. I don't know. Maybe play a little guitar. Okay, uh, Mary Kay, thank you. By the way, what you're doing as a social outreach is fantastic, but I, I see so much more potential in your company, almost that can do that, or in service industries companies that can reach uh, people. You just have such a wide range of customers and consumers. And they're coming in at a service level, so you're almost able to give that message a little more. Um, it's easier to transmit your message to your to your um, to your customers, if you will. What kind of things are mm -hmm. some of the owners doing? I know um, from past episodes that we we know that um, some of your owners are a, a great amount of your owners are actually um, they receive money from their customers to give to or to the uh, the Molly May Foundation. What right. kind of things are they doing? Mm -hmm. So yeah, well, I mean, I, I they're they're advertising and and they are um, talking through it, or or are they giving that message to their customers, or are they just giving on their yeah. own just because they want to give? No, they we are certainly evangelizing it to our customers, and um, because we're in the home, typically every two weeks, we have an opportunity for the the home service professionals who have built relationships with the homeowners to explain to them on a personal level why um, this is such an important 
initiatives and why they might want to support it. And they do. They do support it. It's crazy. The amounts of money that some of the franchise franchise employees generate is is just remarkable. We are right now selling these cool little bracelets that are fundraiser bracelets that our franchise owners have in their hands that um, that the home service professionals can offer to our customers as a fundraising effort for the Ms. Molly Foundation. So we, we do try to keep it front and center um, as much as we can and capitalize, frankly, on the, on the relationships that we've built. Oh, that's excellent. I, I, I have a – go ahead. I'd like to answer Holly's question, what we do, uh, and I know other owner, uh, Molly Maid owners do other things as well, but uh, one of the first things we do at the beginning of the month is we send out letters to all our clients and basically explain to them uh, what Miss uh, uh, Molly is about and uh, how we have partnered with a local uh, uh, safe house called Mutual Ground, and we just simply ask, you know, quote some statistics in there about domestic violence, and and it, it helps make them aware. And then we just simply ask if you you are, you are so inclined, please you know make a donation. And another thing we do is, and this uh, uh, of course the employees are involved in that too because they're distributing the letters. But we also get the employees involved uh every year uh the local uh, shelter mutual ground has a, a walk for hope and we get every you know as many of the employees who want to and, and we do have quite a turnout on that uh and uh, we we mark, we walk in the walk for hope which and, and of course uh, we sponsor that and uh, so we do get some advertising on, on that but still I, I think it's important that we get out there and show our support for all all the people who uh, have experienced this, uh, this particular thing that happens in life that nobody wants to talk about, and they almost try to keep it a secret. But uh, we're trying to let everybody know that there is help available for them, for domestic violence. There is help, and, and it's, it's a little bit challenging to, um, to bring PR awareness to the to the effort because of the nature of um, these safe houses. You know, they don't want cameras there. They don't want, they don't want you giving out addresses and, and that sort of thing. So um, certainly spreading the word, as, as Ray has mentioned, that this help is out there is what the message is. It's not, you know, come look at this great work that we did. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. On, on, a, on a little different tangent, I'd like to, um, Mary Kay, ask you a little bit about um, when we talk about the service industry, you know, back, back to that, um, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, Zarian likes the service industry is obviously because of its high margin for owners, but also because, um, well, two, two other items that we identified, and one is that generally your price point can be a little bit higher because, you are your value is intrinsic. The value is not on the tangible good, but it's on the 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 value, the intangible value of the service you're giving and the product that you offer as far as the service. So that that's another advantage to our customers that they do a good job and and they're great with their customer service. They can generally garner a higher price, and that number can push up without losing uh, having customer attrition. And then the third part of what we feel, you know, is, is a reason for the service industry 
is that it's somewhat recession-proof. Not entirely because the cleaning industry, you know, sometimes they'll cut back and they'll keep that at home. Um, so what I'd like to ask you is specifically on that, um, what, what are your umbrellas? What happened in 08, 09 when, you know, people tightened their belts a little bit? And what advice do you give your owners um, when that happens? And are they also able to reach out a little bit into the um, commercial segment as well? Uh, great question. When 2008 hit, um, people did tighten their belts a little bit, and franchise owners certainly tightened their belts, and, and we saw it at corporate as well. We tightened our belts, too. Everybody's belt got tight, and we didn't sell as many franchises in 2008, but that was really an anomaly. I, I think that when you deliver a high quality, a high value service, then, uh, and you focus on value, then you can weather those kinds of storms. We are not the most expensive way to get your house cleaned, and we're never going to be the low price leader to get your house cleaned either. So we truly um, bank on value for our customers. And, um, and again, the, the personal relationships that we create help get us through some of those more difficult times. But I think, um, I think too, it, it's, it's important to remember that people don't have to pay to get their house cleaned, but more and more they want to. <laughs> it's remarkable. The, the, the market, the need for services continues to grow. And we've got two distinct um, personas who use us. One is the young mother who just has too many things to do and can't keep up with the house. And then the other is the more mature woman who doesn't have kids at home anymore, but, man, she would much rather be off golfing or doing something else um, than cleaning her home. So, as, And we, we cater to those two particular um, constituencies, and mm-hmm. I see no shortage of, of either of them, certainly baby boomers <laughs> like me. Um, you know, this bubble – is creating, keeping that second constituency getting bigger and bigger. And the millennials would much rather pay for someone to give them their time back because time is so valuable to young families. And we get the gift of time. Yes, Ray. (laughs) Speaking of that word, the time, time to pay the bill. I I do. I do. I do want to make a comment when we get back from our commercial about uh, what uh, Holly and uh, Mary Kay are talking about. That time. I kind of figured you would. I figured you would, my friend. So we want to remind our listeners that they can ask questions on the website at www.pillarsoffranchising.com. Or for those of you listening uh, on the website, you can also dial in at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. Ask your questions, and we'll bring you on for an answer. We do have one caller waiting. We'll get to them. We want to thank the Link Local Network for broadcasting our uh, broadcasting our show. You can check out the how the community voices on the Link Local Network are working to achieve work-life balance. 
That's a phrase that I've heard from every franchisee I've, we've ever interviewed. And now a word from one of our sponsors. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new move-ins to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a y.com. And we're back. Ray, back to you for your comments. Well, we were talking about that time in, uh, when the economy went down in 2008, 2009. And one of the interesting things, I know a lot of business owners who simply uh, went out of business during that time. But it, for whatever reason, my business and I, I think many other Molly Made owners were able to thri- not necessarily thrive, but ex- continue to exist. And it's probably because of the, one of the comments I heard from one of my clients uh, when we were talking about uh, you know, whether he was going to cancel or not. He says, I can't cancel. I'm busier now trying to find a job than I was when I had a job. I just don't have time, to, you know, or neither does my wife have time to clean a house. So uh, we lost about 10% of our business during that time, and uh, I, I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> I don't know about how many of the other businesses survived, but uh, I thought we did pretty good. And yet, you still eventually bought the KISS Party Bus, otherwise known as the Mobile Broadcasting <laughs> Studio One. <laughs> when are you going to you... paint your face for the show, Ray? Ooh, that. Mary Kay, have you uh, seen you it? Know... Mobile Broadcasting Studio? <laughs> it's bigger than the KISS Party Bus. And it's got these huge planes on it. <laughs> well, I love and he's got idea. a big tongue painted on the side. I keep telling him he needs to put the Pillars of Franchising logo on one side and the Molly Maid logo on the other side, but not yet. Yeah, well. <laughs> All right, since you two have been talking about that, I'm going to I'm gonna um, get some more info for uh, my ongoing blog development. Uh, Mary Kay, you've obviously worked yes, with sir. franchisees for a long time. The, the greatest... Um, greatest cure known to mankind for insomnia is otherwise known as the franchise disclosure doc. <laughs> what? I love it. it. Yeah, don't you? Unless you got to read one. Um, mm-hmm. What are the first three items you recommend somebody read first? Somebody who's looking to purchase a franchise? Yep. Okay, not someone who's looking to go to sleep. I love to look at item three. (laughs) Item three. Item three, the litigation. Ooh, that's a big one. Item nineteen, the earnings. And we have a a very robust item nineteen at Molly Made. 
And, um, and then item two, the business experience. If I'm going to be investing my life savings into a concept, I want to know who's at the head and are they going to be there a while? <laughs> and do they know what they're, what they're talking about? So have they been sued? How much money they you're going to make? And what's the culture like working with people? Is that what I'm hearing? Right. And, well, and who's at the top? Yeah. The culture you're going to find out with validation. Um, okay. Certainly discovery days, but, but I, boy, I say to folks who are looking at a franchise, you can't talk to enough franchise owners. You've got to call until you find someone who's having a bad day. <laughs> You've got to call until you find someone who's having a great day and talk to people in between because that's the reality. Um, just you should call as many as you can. Man, I'd swear Ray paid you on that one. Um, all right, so if you're trying to sleep, which one would you – you're the first person who's brought that one up. So if you're trying to sleep, which what section would you read first? Oh, probably the corporate financials. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's Not what you hire other people to read. Corporate. That's right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, actually, you know, our item 19 is pretty good. When, um, when we got a new head of, uh, or our new chief counsel at Neighborly um, a number of years ago, he changed it from Latin into English, and it's actually kind of a fun read now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. Oh, that's good. All right. So, oh, yeah, that is good. All right, I'm going to follow up with that one, Fred. Hold on a minute. So tell us All right, about then your we're going to bring a caller on. Okay, I guess. Fine. Tell us about your No, go ahead and ask account. your question. Go ahead and ask it. <laughs> I tell you about what, Holly? Uh, let's talk about item 20. Tell me a little bit about um, what, what are your attrition rates, what's your continuity, if you, if you don't mind sharing. I know they're, they're good, so that's why I, I do put you on yeah, the spot for no, that. <laughs> they are very good. Um, I've, I've only been here through one FDD creation, so I, I don't have the whole history. I apologize for that. But I can tell you that we don't lose franchises. Um, what I see happen more is that if a, a franchise owner wants to get out or sell, then he's got typically neighbors who are happy to <laughs> to uh, help them exit. So, um we we just don't lose franchises. Well, and what I've it found... It sounds silly, um, but we don't. Right. No, well, I, I, I see that from the resale side of it, you know, just working with um, some of your owners who are uh, looking, looking to sell, you know, on the outside and um, not through other franchise owners. Um, they are able to get um, a strong multiplier. We're seeing three, 3.5. Um, which is very yep. good, um, and yep. and we're also seeing that you know these these owners um, not only are they getting the value, true value for their business, um, it's a very attractive business right now. I'm working with an owner who has two, um, as you probably know on the inside, um, two very strong active buyers uh, looking looking at his business. So um, without question, you know, that, that's really good. And the attrition rate, it seems, is, is very low. Do you have a percentage? Do you know what that is offhand? Wow. Last year, 
I think we lost two. I mean, it's really oh. negligible. It's truly, yeah. truly negligible. Point, point oh seven. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fantastic. No, that's great. Yeah. Good. Thank you, Mary. Yeah. Boy, Holly's working on becoming the FDD queen, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> All okay, right, so. you, know, you know what, Fred? I'm not going to let you read that ebook when it comes out on the FDD. <laughs> sure you won't. Sure you won't. You'll say, find me people to read it. I know. All right, so let's bring a <laughs> caller on. Caller at 630-529. What's your first name and where are you? What's your weather like? Hey, it's Kristen over in Bloomingdale, Illinois, sitting in you the Molly Maid office. Yeah, just calling in to listen Hi, to Kristen. Mary Kay. Hi, Hi, Kristen. Hey, Holly. Hey, Hi, Kristen. Hey. Hi, Mary Kay. So Hi, we're just getting our teams brought back in today, and I thought I'd call and listen to the show and see if there's anything that uh, I got to hear that maybe I missed, uh, was that last week already we had our big uh, regional meeting here, or the week before? Time flies. And uh, it's great to hear um Mary Kay on kind of a different platform talking about our business and so excited to hear how much she's or how well she's onboarded in our brand and I'm like, Oh my god, she sounds like she's been here forever. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I That's awesome. I respect the fact that I have not been there forever. I have so much more to learn. It's crazy. But oh, it's fun and, and you guys are all so generous with your knowledge and patient with me as I come up to speed. So thank you for that. Well, you know, we we always get what we always give what we've already gotten and that's really just kind of what we've talked about before being um just the way it is in Molly Made. It's the way we were all treated, I believe, when we came on board and um so I hope that everyone is treating you the same way we've all been treated. So they certainly are. Thank you. Anything else, Kristen? No, I'm just here listening on the show. It's a cool overcast day here in Chicago, and it's been interesting listening to uh, some of the information about the FDDs because we talked briefly about that. We obviously talked briefly about um, before the Ms. Molly uh, Foundation. There were a couple notes that I wanted to point out, um, fun facts, if you will. So the bracelets that Mary Kay talked about, those are, interesting enough, interestingly enough, the Pure Vita bracelets. And um, Pure Vita, for anybody who is into that and knows anything about that, is Spanish for pure life. Um, they're very cool bracelets that you can check into with your um, local Molly Made office for pricing on those. There are two different styles available. And I found a fun fact uh, about when the Ms. Molly Foundation actually began, it was inspired uh, during the O.J. Simpson trial, believe it or not. That is oh. what inspired um, them to start this in 1995. Um, and at one point, Holly, I think we uh, talked a couple shows ago about what is the national hotline phone number for domestic violence um, should somebody need help. And I got that number as well, yep. which is 800-779-7233. Say it again, Kristen. 1-800-779-7233. Okay, Kristen. Awesome. So now you've been elected to do a, a blog post for the Pillars of Franchising.com website on uh, domestic violence awareness and how franchisees are leading the charge against it. Okay, fabulous. 
I'll make you. I'll see you next week, and we'll we'll. I'll make you do that next week when I see you. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Hey, Chris. Kristen, thanks yeah. for jogging my memory about something else I learned about a way to support the Ms. Molly Foundation. Is if you are a an Amazon customer and you buy things yeah. on Amazon, if you go to smile.amazon.com, you can register a nonprofit organization, and as long as you Purchase your items at smile.amazon.com. A portion of your purchase price will go to that nonprofit, and it doesn't change the, the retail price that you're paying. It's just a donation from, um, from Amazon. So smile.amazon.com. Yep. Yes, and you know what? I will put that in my blog as well. There you go. That's good. Like I said, I'm gonna, I'll be there next week. Um, you got to write it by next week so I can edit. So it's all good. So mm-hmm. we're going to put you back on mute. Sounds good. Nice Ray. to talk to you all. Go ahead, Ray. Take your next question. Well, is it time for uh, a commercial again or or not? Uh, okay, we'll do a commercial. And sorry, I was going to okay. go talk to our other person in the green room, but I'll get to him in a second. So just to repeat, uh, as Kristen did, you can dial in at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755 to ask questions or make a comment. Or you can chat with us at www.pillarsoffranchising.com. That's www.pillarsoffranchising.com. And now a word from another sponsor. Ever wonder how successful business people get educated about franchise business options? The Franchise Consulting Company is a group of over 100 franchise professionals with more than 2,000 years of franchise experience. We help our clients select and investigate franchise companies. And like a realtor, our services are free of charge to you. Our fees are paid by the seller. Reach out to us to learn more and get a free copy of the Franchise MBA, the number one bestseller and highest reviewed book on Amazon in the franchise category. Our website is thefranchiseconsultingcompany.com or feel free to call us on 800-321-6072. Thanks, Nick. Also, we have the same wonderful form on the pillarsoffranchising.com website. So if you fill out the form at pillarsoffranchising.com, we will make sure you get that book and uh, you can read all the wonderful stuff in there, Franchise MBA. Now, Ray, you want to take your next question? I do. Uh, I'd like to ask Mary Kay. Uh, you've been with uh, uh, Dwyer for before it acquired Molly Man. Is that correct? Correct. So, I know uh, uh, from a Molly Maid, uh franchise perspective, of course, there was a little worry on our side. You know what's going to happen. You know, how are things going to change? So I know that perspective. What was the perspective on the other side, on the Dwyer side now neighborly, on acquiring uh, Molly Maid? We were very excited to acquire Molly Maid. And along with Molly Maid came Mr. Handyman and a company called Protect Painters. And we had just acquired Five Star Painting in January of 2015. We acquired Molly Maid, uh, Mr. Handyman, and Protect Painters in June of 2015. 
So at the time, I was president of Five Star Painting, and my world changed in June with the purchase because we had lots of overlapping territories. We had a couple of difficult decisions to make when the, the deal got done. Did we want to go forward with two competing paint companies in the same market, essentially giving us two cracks at the same customer? Or did we want to go forward as one company? And the, the really interesting thing about working from a set, core, set of core values is that if you know what your values are, Roy Disney said this, if you know what your values, values are, it's easy to make decisions. So we very thoughtfully plotted everything out, looked at, at different directions in which we could go, and we determined that we wanted to be one company, um, the best paint company in North America. So then we conducted some work to see what name resonated best with consumers, Five Star Painting or Protect, because we had about equal number of units in each. And consumers told us, number one, they didn't really care what you call the paint company, but those who did express a preference of a name like Five Star. So then we went back to the network, and, um, and people were, as you can imagine, pretty pretty uh, uncomfortable when they realized we had two paint, that franchise owners were uncomfortable realizing we had two paint companies now. So we went back with the message that we are going to go forward as one paint company. Every place where we have overlapping territories, we're going to resolve those. And we got real creative in resolving those. And we're going to go forward with the lead name of Five Star Painting. Should you want to rebrand yourself, Protect, we'll help you with that. Because where we had Five Star and Protect together and we, um, we separated them, when, when in franchising, when you have a neighbor franchise of the same name, then their marketing helps you and all boats rise when, when you've got multiple franchises in, in proximity. So, um, so it took us about a year to get everybody who wanted to be rebranded, rebranded. There were some who said, I like the name Protect. I've done a good job marketing it in my community. I don't have a neighbor, so I'm going to stay Protect. And we said, that's fine. You can do that. And we set forth to, to grow that network with, uh, started out with two separate brands and um, went forward as one cohesive brand. So that was really the biggest impact at Neighborly when we made the purchase of Service Brands International. But with regard to Molly, as I said, my sister and brother-in-law have been franchisees for years, and, and so I was thrilled to be able to work with them and to help their business from the corporate side. But Molly is, is a revered brand. I mean, it's a great brand. So it was a, a wonderful addition to the portfolio. Mary Kay, you're talking a lot. Well, she said the M word. I know. I know. I was going to follow up with the M word, but don't play it yet. So, um, hey, Mary Kate, I love hearing what you're saying about the marketing, and I am really curious. Uh, you know, uh, what what do you do um, as as the entire Dwyer Group or, or even each individual brand um, for your franchisees on their marketing side of it? I mean, I know what you do as a brand as a whole, but what, what is your internal branding for each of those, um, those franchises? What does that consist of? Tell us a little bit about it. Um, do you do it in-house? Do you, do you utilize people like Fred to, to help assist them? I mean, what, what sort of um, marketing do you do for the franchisees? 
Sure, great question. For the, the Molly, Molly Made brand in particular, we work with a PR firm to get uh, stories about the services that we offer in some great locations. We've, we've had great coverage this year. So work with an outside source there, but we have quite a robust in-house marketing team, uh, about 70 people that support all of the neighborly brands. And um, a lot of, so we create a lot of our own materials in-house. We do use outside agencies sometimes, but in-house we do a lot. But the other thing that's really different mm-hmm. that we can offer our, our franchise owners is this whole neighborly concept. We launched the brand Neighborly, and that's when we, we actually changed our name. We launched the brand two years ago, changed our name last year to Neighborly from Dwyer Group. And we have been marketing to all of the customers across all brands the neighborly concept and introducing to customers of Molly Made, introducing to them the services offered by other neighborly brands in their market. So there's a newsletter that goes out to all of our customers, and that's hundreds of thousands of customers uh, every month that has some blogs that are interesting to the Molly Made customers because they know us as Molly Made. But then as you get down into the email, it introduces blogs on some of the other services that are in their market and then invites them to visit getneighborly.com. If you go to getneighborly.com, you have an opportunity to uh, shop all of the the brands that are in your market and even set up a, um, a profile for yourself where you can plug in reminders of seasonal things that you want to get done. If you want to get your windows washed twice a year, whatever, you can set that up in there, and it will send you reminders. And then when you want to, when, when um, you see that, oh, gosh, I could get landscaping done here, or I could get my house painted, or any one of, of a number of other services, then you can just go right through that portal and when you use the other services, your whole history lives in that portal. So you never have to go and try to remember, now, who did I call when my plumbing went out? You can go right to getneighborly.com, see that you called Mr. Reuter, and there you can get in touch with them right there and set your next appointment. And I think oh, that's, that's a real change maker, yes, because those mm-hmm. are leads then. We're building our own lead machine for all of our internal network. Owners. Yeah, you share exactly. those leads, I'm assuming, with the other with the other brands across brands then. Yeah. Yep. To market for yep. for uh, newsletters and, and email marketing, digital marketing. And yep, we do that. We we just had an email go out this week to all of our customers to re, to let them know that if it's time for spring cleaning, we can help them. <laughs> Here are the ways that we can help them. And certainly Molly made is front and center on that. Uh, but it does talk about the other things, you know, our other services too, the landscaping and the painting and other things that people associate with spring cleaning and getting fresh, get a fresh start on the new yeah, year. Yeah, that's kind of a one-stop shop on all of that. Yep. Great. And yeah, I'm yep. assuming for the franchises, you do a digital marketing package for them, or what do you do on that? Oh, yeah. Yes, we do. Uh, at Molly Made, we do cover the national. Uh, pay-per-click program through the ad fund that everybody contributes to. Uh, we also use those dollars for the website 
for actually building the website and for um, doing other kinds of branding things and creating the resources for franchise owners to use. And then we have preferred partners for franchise owners to do their own local pay-per-click advertising and social media advertising. We do social media, but one thing that we know for sure is that it's much more effective if it's also touched locally. So we'll feed, we'll feed Facebook pages, we'll feed Instagram, but what really is effective is if local owners keep up on their own local pages with local pictures and local stories and come see us in the spring parade or come see us at the home show or, you know, those sorts of things really resonate with our customers. In our case, Shucks, we, we should be populating our local Facebook pages with stories about our, our home service professionals and because it's a family, you know, and, and, and because it's such an intimate relationship. There's lots of opportunity, yes, for, for local owners to work with our on-staff marketing folks and craft their own local messages. Great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Right. And okay. we also built... We also build, um, I'm sorry, a marketing plan with the franchise owners. So we know what works best for Molly Maid prospects awesome. to become customers, and that's what we share with our franchise owners. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Incredible. That's great services. Mm-hmm. We, we do need to move on to our next guest, but I do want to make a comment about Neighborly, and that is uh, Neighborly uh, acts as an aggregator uh, of all these services, and one of the nice things about uh, Neighborly is there's accountability as opposed to someone like Home Advisor. Uh, they don't own the brands, and, and a Neighborly owns the brand. So for all the customers out there, if you go with Neighborly, there is a, a certain amount of accountability because Neighborly owns all the brands that they talk about. That's a great point. Thank you, Ray. So, Fred. Are you ready? Go for it, my friend. Well, no, you got to ask right, her the last right. question. You, you got to ask her what's our last question. Oh. I mean, seriously, dude. Well, the last. Uh, all right, sorry, I'm I'm falling down on the job, Fred. What can I tell you? Uh, Mary Kay, if someone wants to talk to you um, about Molly Maid, how's the best way to get a hold of you? The best way to get a hold of me is to call me. Oh golly! Okay, uh, send me an email. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> And better. I will call you back. I will call you back. I promise. Um, at Mary K M A R Y K A Y dot Liston L I S T O N at and this is going to sound funny N B L Y dot com. It's neighborly but with no vowels. So Mary K dot Liston <laughs> at N B L Y dot com. Fantastic. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Mary Kay. Thank you. This is fun. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. All right, Ray. Who's our next guest? Well, we'd like to uh, uh, introduce Mitch Cohn. He's the CEO of Performex Franchise Advisors and Jersey Mike Sub Franchisee. So welcome to the show, uh, Mitch. How you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Welcome. Uh, Mary Kay's a tough act to follow. I hope I can live up to that. Oh, we're sure you can. So I'll ask this question. <laughs> Where are you located, and what's the weather like? 
So I am located in sunny Long Island. It's always sunny here in Long Island, New York. It happens to be about 52 degrees, but it's always sunny. Okay. Love it. Wow, I'm tongue-tied there. I'm just, I love that. <laughs> Ray, you, since Holly asked the first question last time, you can ask the first question this time. Oh, sure. <laughs> well, uh, one, one of the things I, I got to say uh, to Mitch is one of my favorite subs is Jersey Mike's. And uh, how did you get started with, uh, with Jersey Mike's? That's a, that's a really cool franchise. Oh, yeah. So thank you, and thanks for the support. Um, we, love, we love having customers brag about us, so that's awesome. Um, to be honest with you, this is my second go-around in franchising. So I started 35 years ago with uh, Dunkin' Donuts and Baskin-Robbins brands. Um, I sold my units in 2016, and I was looking for something that was going to match the values that I had in my company, and Jersey Mike's values and culture really attracted me to their concepts. Um, and once I got through my due diligence with them, realized it would be a great fit. The relationship was most important to me to make sure that I had somebody that I could partner with that was going to live up to the values that we created in our, in our other organization. And as we mentioned uh, with Mary Kay, culture is extremely important. And how, how, what differences have you found from uh, uh, your, your previous franchises and, and uh, Jersey Mike's uh, culture-wise that uh, made you definitely decide on Jersey Mike? Uh, the differences, are there are not that many differences. So one of the things I did in my previous life was I actually co-chaired the Joint Childhood Foundation for the Dunkin' Donuts and Baskin-Robbins franchisees. Um, we started uh, 12 years ago. We just finished raising almost $6 million there and uh, a year. We started with 17000 our first year and got up to six when I left. Uh, but Jersey Mike's is similar with their culture, you know, honesty, respect, transparency, um, fairness, and that's the types of things that I was looking for, similar to Duncan. And then what Jersey Mike's does just – going back to franchising gives back, I, I was listening to Mary Kay, is they have a month of giving in the month of March, and the franchisees can pick the charities they want. So here on Long Island, we did a charity called Long Island Cares, which is a food bank, and we supported the backpack program, and we just came off of raising over $50,000 um, in the month of March with uh, 12 locations in Long Island with our program. And what that does is, it helps with our retention of our employees. It helps with our guest perception, and it gets the community very involved in what we're doing. So those are the types of things I look for. I mean, I could have checked the item three and item 19 and item 20, which I did, but really what was most important is how is my long-term relationship going to be with my franchisor? What is their growth strategy, and does it fit into what I'm ready to do today? Mm -hmm. Excellent. So you weren't answering my next question of what three items were you reading first on the FDD, were you? I was ahead of you, yes. So actually, I, 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 I agree with Mary Kay. I have to agree with Mary Kay. I, 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 first, I look at, actually, I look at 19 first, and then I look at three, and then I look at two. Um, but what I really do is I go into my stores. The FDD is a document 
It's great. It has to be written. I'll go and I'll check. And I went to over 20 different franchisees, actually physically into the shops, had lunch, figured out what was going on, found the franchisee, and had face-to-face conversations with them. All right. So the second half of it now, as we're going to call this the Mary Kay question, what section would you read first if you were trying to go to sleep? Uh, probably three. Okay. Take it away, Holly. All right. Gosh, it's awesome to meet you. I've seen uh, your LinkedIn, your profile. You've done quite a bit. You're an um, advisor partner, I guess, for the IFA Board of Directors as well. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I sit on the board of uh, of the IFA, the International Franchise Association, and just finished the term as the Franchise Relations Co-Chair. Yeah, that's, let, me, let me go back to the origins of franchising for you, if you don't mind. So why did you choose to, I mean, obviously you have the talents and the skill sets of senior, your, your profile um, to start your own business, to do your own thing. Why did you choose the franchise? Can you tell me what you felt in the beginning were the advantages of, the, of buying a franchise versus starting your own business? And also can you share with me how that, that thought process has evolved over time? Absolutely. Um, when coming out of college, I was looking for something that I, to do, um, and I was working at a bank, and then I actually went into my local Baskin-Robbins and started working there. Um, and to see the systems and the support that's, that's created in a franchise environment made me very happy to, to, to look at franchises because – what I realized was, as smart as I thought I might have been coming out of college, uh, I was still kind of young, I would never have the financial resources or wherewithal to create the systems that you really need to grow a business and become successful a little bit quicker, hopefully, than if you started on your own. So we did our research, and I had Baskin-Robbins as my background at the time because of my part-time job, and I started talking to my franchisees. Uh, talking to franchisees and, and the people that hired me and realized that this is a perfect environment to get started in. At the time, I'm talking, I hate to date myself, but back in the 80s, it was uh, very relatively inexpensive to get into um, for what it was. And the, we built stores in, in shopping malls, in closed malls. So at that time, that was a, it was a very robust business for us. And I was able to learn through the franchise system what that means to be a franchisee, how important it is to be part of the community. And we were able to develop that into 15 Baskin-Robbins over the course of time. And then we went from there in 2001, got onto Dunkin' Brands, into Dunkin' Donuts. They were the same kind of company, um, one company. And we we opened 13 of those shops. um, And we did that in a 12-year period. Phenomenal. And, yeah, and, and my thought process actually stays the same. When, when we sold the business, my partners and I, the first thought, uh, to be honest with you, was great. I'm old enough I can retire, or I'm young enough and I shouldn't retire. I wasn't really sure. Um, <laughs> but I had, two, I, had two, I had two kids in college, and I realized after the golf season ended, there wasn't much for me to do, even though it's so sunny in Long Island. <laughs> the winter's really brutal. <laughs> so, uh, so it was time to, to figure work. out how to get back to work. Okay. 
and I went back to the same work. I went back to the same process I did early on with my partners to find that company. And we could have easily did, you know, Joe, Joe Smith's uh, sub shop or, or Mitch Cohen's sub shop. But we realized, again, it's systems, it's community, and, and the marketing and, and the, the brand recognition. It takes so long to develop that that if you can find the right company, regardless of what field you're in, that's, that's where you need to be. That's beautifully said. Perfectly said. <laughs> well, you said the M word. What can I say? Yeah, all right. <laughs> you only get one set of applause for the M word, though, just so you're not going back trying to say the word for more applause. So all right, all right, no I'm going to take us in a slightly different way. You, besides being a Jersey Mike's uh, franchisee, which – uh, I'll, my favorite is the pastrami sandwich. Um, I'm not going to ask number you. 20. Number 20. Um, I, I won't ask you what yours is. Um, I'll let Ray do that. But you're also a partner and I think CEO of Performax. Um, what does Performax do? So we started this company, uh, myself and two other franchisees that are actually on the board of the International Franchise Association. And the three of us had this passion in franchising. We're very passionate about franchising. And we were trying to figure out what we've done over all these years is offered a lot of assistance to other franchise players, whether it's franchisors or franchisees. And we realized that there's a niche right now in the, in the industry that we think we could fill. And our goal is to make, we want all franchisees to be successful. So we thought by getting together, Performax Franchisee Advisors would be able to go to the franchisors and work with the franchisors on their bottom quartile of franchisees, those that might be dis, uh, disengaged or those that might just be struggling for some reasons operationally and take some of their other players that are higher up in, in, in their growth and blend them together and put together what we call a 90-day fitness program where we come in and after talking to the franchisor and interviewing the franchisor about all their processes and training, we then talk to the franchisee, franchisee to franchisee, which doesn't always happen. And we can learn a lot more about what's going on in the franchisor's organization talking franchisee to franchisee. We gather up that data and we put together a program which we call 90-day fitness program. And then we actually, my partner Tom Baber and Tamara Kennedy and myself, we actually roll up our sleeves, put on the uniform, and get to work side by side with the franchisee, peeling back the onion, figuring out how do we get them reengaged, what are their issues, we want to fix them, and if it's a, it's a situation where somebody needs to exit the business, we want to have that discussion and say, look, we're going to help you raise the value of your business, get you reengaged for a short period of time, so if in fact you are going to exit the system, Let's maximize your dollars because once you get, once you're not engaged anymore, you're not, you're not going to maximize your dollars and you're going to have a tremendous amount of time and energy that you put in plus resources that you're going to leave on the table. So we try to make sure that we get everybody to stay and move up the ladder. So the royalty stream increases. So it's a benefit to the franchisor and it's a benefit to the franchisee because their equity changes. So I heard you say you, you target the issues they're having. What would be the top 
two or three issues that you find are most prevalent? Right now, there seems to be um, lack of communication between franchisor and franchisee, which starts to create the rub and the disconnect in the franchise relationship. And then it's usually the profit margin. When the profit margin starts to shrink on the, on the business for whatever reason, the franchisee gets disengaged. So they're making less money, and they're not really ready to figure out how because they've been doing it the same way all along. So what we have to do is go in and see why that happened. You know, listen, if, if they built a, a big road in front of your store that wasn't there before and they took all the traffic lights away, that's a location issue. But if we walk into your location and we take the blinders off and we see that there's operational issues based upon what we learned from the franchisor and how the operation is supposed to look, then we're going to sit down and talk about those operational issues with the franchisee and show them how to do it with an easy fix. Maybe you're not going to spend $10,000 to put up new drywall, but if there's a hole in the restroom wall, let's figure out how to fix that reasonably and start reshaping the business so that you can get it. If it's a sales type business um, where you're doing service, we'll learn about the service model and maybe what you're not doing is the local store marketing properly, or maybe you don't have the right people making the phone calls to do the sales. But we'll come in with a fresh set of eyes and analyze that. And the results are going to be good because you're, you have, between the three of us, we have almost 90 years of experience in franchising, and we feel very passionate about we're franchisees first, and we want every franchisee to succeed, and we're going to do whatever we can to help you succeed. And so we want to share our knowledge, and we want the franchisor to be partners with us and hire us to go do that so that the franchisor is now also part of the solution and not part of the problem. Ooh, I'd really like to give you more applause for the phrase local store marketing, but oh well. Ray, go ahead. Take one. Well, I, I think one of the phrases that uh, uh, I've seen uh, as, as part of your bio is putting boots on the ground. Uh, I, I think that's extremely important because I think a lot of people, business owners, can't see the forest through the trees. They can't see what's happening because they don't have a, a good view they're, they're, uh, some of those people are working in the business so hard they can't see what's happening. So, you know, you go in there and you basically you can point out these things that these owners can't see. And is there a cost to the franchisee for for having this done or having you come out, or is this primarily the franchisor who pays that? It's it's all the franchisor that pays it. So, what we try to do is look at the franchisor's revenue stream and base and base the job based upon how many we have to help and what the revenue stream looks like. So it's going to vary from, from job to job. Um, some franchisors might have 10 franchisees they want you to work with, and some might have a lot more. Um, we try to scale everything down to really look to make it successful business case for us, but successful, we want wins. We want the franchisee to win. If the franchisee wins, the franchisor is going to win. And if the franchisor makes the investment, this now unengaged franchisee could see that I'm not just getting field visits with a checklist telling me I'm not doing this right or that right. They're actually bringing somebody else in and, and putting money where their mouth is. So now I need to step up to the plate, too. That's part of the conversation. Oh, absolutely. Can, can you name some examples that uh, uh, turned out to be pretty easy fixes and, and really turned the company around? 
so we just started the company um, two months ago. So I don't have any complete consulting gigs right now. Um, we're in the process of working with different organizations at all different levels, some even working, requesting us to work with some of their field team to kind of change the way that business model looks for them. But we're in the middle of a couple of different projects and nothing's complete, so I don't have any stats for you. We're literally 60 days into this. Well, I can definitely see uh, that uh, Yeah, this is going to work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Ray. Holly, you haven't, you've been yeah. quiet. I, well, I'm, I'm listening, actually. I, I'm fascinating, fascinated what you're talking about, um, especially, you know, one of, one of the questions that, um, that I like to look at is the inverse of, you know, we say what, why is franchising so much more successful than a business startup, and we know the percentages can show almost 40% higher success rate at five years. But, but it, it is very interesting to look at it from the negative, and that is why do franchises fail? And I think you brought up some great points on that. One was the lack of communication. You know, um, they're in there and they're trying to figure out what the best way is. One is operational, obviously, um, cutting your spend on marketing. Um, you know, maybe, maybe their, their margins are crunching, and what do they do is they cut back and they cut back on the wrong things. And I, obviously that's some of the things that you're going to be able to go in there and, and, and fix and just kind of refocus the optics on what's important to continue the growth um, uh, as we go. Um, can, could you tell us maybe some other reasons that you would think um, that a franchise uh, fails? Well, I think you talked a little bit about it earlier. I mean, selection process first, from the franchisor's point of view, I think there's two sides of the due diligence. I think the franchisor has to make sure that they're selecting the right franchisees for the business that is they're selling. And I think the franchisee has to also pick the right business for their passion. Sometimes, you know, people just look at the bottom line and say, oh, I could go do this because it makes a lot of money. But if you're not passionate about what you do in any business, you're not going to be successful at the end of the day because your, your passion is going to drive you somewhere else. So I think one of the issues is, is the due diligence on both parties needs to get better. I think once that happens, the other part that I, that I think is crucial is the training that takes place once you sign on and are getting ready to open and then the ongoing support. What typically happens is you'll do t 10 days of two weeks of training, then you're going to open your store, you'll have a field person with you for six or eight or 10 days, and you might not see them again for 90, 120, who knows when, and you're kind of out on an island by yourself. So your start is rough, and now you're figuring out things on your own, and they might be shortcuts or they might not be right. And um, some, I like to say that practice makes permanent. And if you're practicing all the wrong techniques because you got overwhelmed, they're going to be permanent techniques, and your training then is going to keep re being repetitive around that. And now the field person comes back, and now all of a sudden you have a relationship that's not going to work. So I think it's on a little bit on the franchisor as much as it is on the franchisees to make sure so ongoing support is continuous, especially in the beginning, and not just to expect that the person that the franchisor decided is right for this business has got it when they walk out of that training center or wherever it is they're going to be trained. Because the reality is when you turn the lights on and the people come in, 
or you have to make the phone calls live to 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 sell whatever services you have. It's a different it's a different ball game. Mm-hmm. Ray, jump in. I did, I have a question. Uh, uh, since, since you're just getting started, in this this is going to actually be uh, something hypothetical. But what I found, or actually, it's going to be something that you you'll probably need to think about. But what I have found is a, a lot of times someone will buy a franchise but not follow the model. Because you know uh, uh, they spend all this money, and of course the franchise comes up with this great plan. But the fran- the new franchise uh, uh, E says, no, I'm not. I'm going to do it my way. What plans would you have? And I've seen this happen. What plans would you have to uh, turn that franchise uh, E around and start to follow the model? So it's funny that you say that because I I used to start a lot of conversations when I'm with franchisors in a in a group setting like at the IFA or something, and I'll say. You know, how many franchisees are in the room? How many franchisors are there? And I'll say, look, I'm a franchisee. i got to be the smartest guy in the room. And it's a joke because a lot of franchisees think that I'm going to buy this concept, but I'm going to do it my way. And it, it's, it happens time and time again because I'm not a franchisee and I'm smarter than the franchisor, I'm smarter than the company. So we have looked at that before this even happen because we've dealt with that situation before. So really what it is is, again, sitting down with a franchisee and saying, okay, explain to me, why are you doing it A, B, and C? When the company's manifesto is telling you to do it E, F, and G, let's go through it and see really which way is better and which way isn't. And explain to them from life experiences that I took shortcuts when I had my other businesses and I realized that at the end of the day, they weren't the right ones. So how do you, you know, sit down and express that to them? And that's where our credibility comes into play. When we're talking to another franchisee to franchisee, I could be just as smart as they are, but at the end of the day, we're not really that smart if we bought into a system and we're not paying attention to the, to the guidelines of the system. So I think it's, it's actually an easy fix when it comes not from the corporate side of the business, but either comes from fellow franchisees and peer leadership groups or from outside franchisees that can help. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, yeah, I've seen it happen uh, where the franchise was telling the franchisee, you know, you've got to do your marketing this way. And then that person would call me and say, well, I'm having problems. Why is my franchise failing? And I'd say, well, what does corporate say? And I would say, they are right. You've got to change the way you're doing your marketing. And they still refuse to change. And, of course, that that person is now out of business. But uh, it's amazing how stubborn people can get. Right. And, and I, but I think that the difference is we could come in because one of my, one of my partners is a, is a money mailer franchisee as well. And so we can come in and sit down and say, okay, here are the real facts. You're doing it this way. This is what you're generating. If you did it this way and it's the company way, this is what you're going to generate. And, and the proof is in the pudding. So if you're going to work with us, let us do this for you. We'll show you how to do it. You're going to make that spend, and I guarantee you're going to have better results than what you already have. And then you yep. can actually start to turn the people around. Yep. 
Excellent. So let, let's let's go to another another topic, kind of on the same vein, vein if you will. Uh, you know, obviously, you know there there is protection needed on both sides. You know, we come in, and the reason for the FDD. I'm sorry, friends. Uh, <laughs> what is it? The latest cure for insomnia? I don't know. Um, but the, when, yeah. when you when you look at the FTD, you know there's there's so many items in there you know look at. I think it's really important that franchisees really take a good look, let an attorney review what they're signing so they understand what's going on, but also so they understand the immense value that a franchisor is giving them, all of the things in the FTD that they're they're being given, all of the marketing training support, and that they utilize and they reach out when they need help and they don't have that island mentality. And, and honestly, I think it's inherent in business owners. Um, you know, there's a reason they're not punching the corporate time clock. They want to get out there and they want to do it themselves. So there's, a, there's, there's an intrinsic independence of uh, franchise owners just because of that. However, they tend to be a little more intelligent because they do realize the value of those systems and procedures. So, so just that education of this is what the franchisor is giving them combined with the other side of it that the franchisor, as you said, takes the time and does the due diligence on who they're bringing into their system to make sure that the brand is solid and to make sure that there's an understanding that this is what we expect you to follow. And there is a reason we do it this way, and that is because this replication breeds success in our brand. Um, so, you know, looking at all of that, you know, when you look at the FDD and you're looking at, you know, some of the brands that you've been in, um, what are some of the items that you should look for on that vein of, of protection to the franchisor and um, and also for uh, awareness of the franchisee? Yeah, so I, I think one of the things that, that I find interesting is most prospective franchisees take the FDD and give it to their attorney. And then the attorney reads it and says, okay, here are all the things that – you know, you can't do, and are you sure you want to do this because it's going to lock you up for 10 or 20 years? And the franchisee doesn't actually read the document cover to cover, and it is a terrible document to read cover to cover, but you've got to read a couple of them to at least understand what's going on and see where the support systems are, what you're paying for those support systems what you're paying for your POS system, what you're paying for PCI compliance, you know, what is the mile radius restriction around the business? And it's, it's, right. it's, the, lack of, it's the lack of time that the franchise, uh, prospective franchisee puts in to the FDD. So I think it's someone on the franchisor and, and actually some of the attorneys that are, in, that are in the marketplace to say, hey, I'll review it. But I've read these a hundred times. You need to review it and come and ask me questions about it. Um, and I've had some clients that are new to franchising that brought me the FDD, and I I read through it, and then I met with them, and I said, okay, show. I have a list of things that we need to talk about. What is your list? And if you don't have a list, we're not having the discussion because it's not going to be one-sided. So I think that's really important. I think education mm-hmm. in the industry is an important piece that's missing that prospective franchisees need a place to go to understand what it is to be a franchisee, not a business, not just a business owner, because we're all small business owners, but we're franchisees that bought a system and we need to understand what, what does that mean? What does that mean when I join that team? 
And what are my responsibilities? And I think there's that part of the process is not in the industry right now. So you're saying that potential franchisees need a knowledge base, a resource where they can go to learn things and be educated. Yes. Hmm. Ray, any thoughts on where that should be? I wonder if they can get some of that information from Pillars of Franchising. Hmm. I gave you guys a free plug. See that? <laughs> See, I love. I like this guy. I like this. So, on that, we're gonna take a quick break. Sorry to have been away. Um, Want to thank you for calling in. We'll talk to him tomorrow. See if I have him on the show. And remind everyone they can call in at three two three five eight zero five seven five five. That's three two three five eight zero five seven five five. Or as Ray said, pillarsoffranchising.com. dot com. Now a word from another sponsor. Are you thinking about opening a business? Whether you're in transition from a corporate job, looking to generate investment income, add to your existing business, or just too young to retire, come to the Great American Franchise Expo and explore your options. Meet face-to-face with dozens of franchise executives representing dozens of quality brands. A wide range of price points and ownership models are available. Attend our free seminars on accounting, real estate, and marketing. Franchise law experts will be there to answer your questions and banks are on hand to discuss loans and financing. The first 100 attendees will receive free VR goggles. For free tickets, visit www.franexpousa.com. The Great American Franchise Expo, coming to a city near you in 2019. Check our website for schedules. Thanks, Abel. Uh, Just as a note, the next Great American Franchise Expo is at the Cobb Galleria in Atlanta, May 18th and 19th. And then the next one after that is the Prime Osborne Convention Center in Jacksonville, uh, September 7th and 8th. So, Holly, you've been quiet. What's your question? (laughs) You've been gone. I just asked one. But I'm going to ask a follow-up because I am excited about that answer that we just received. Wow, uh, phenomenal thought on a franchise store and, and making sure that they understand what's, what's in that FDD and that they're taking the time to read it. Um, I, I like the analogy of when somebody's looking at a new house and they, you know, to buy, you know, resale, and they get in there and the toilet's clogged up, you know, like right when they come in, maybe the toilet doesn't flush, something, something very minor. And all of they a call sudden, right. they put on, yeah, they put on the purple glasses and now they see the entire house through the optics of this broken toilet, if you will. So when, when a franchisee comes, they, they sign up, they, they haven't really read the, the FTD well, and then all of a sudden the, the brand comes back, the franchisor says, hey, well, you know, don't forget this fee, or they give them a fee that they weren't remembering or expecting. Now all of a sudden they've got this taint, and then all of a sudden something else happens, or maybe they want help on this and they're, they're not getting the same help that they wanted Anyway, it just sets up this ongoing, almost adversarial relationship in there, and the franchisees tend to look for the problem, not the solution. Um, so what you said, I thought, was just very exceptional. What, what, sort of, what would advice would you give to franchisors, especially with, you know, your history and, and expert as being on, you know, both sides of the coin here, not, not a franchisor, but on the fixing and then, of course, the franchisee? What would you tell franchisors to do? Would you have them do a detailed FTE review at Discovery Days? So, I, yeah, I think if they can have the resources to do 
a deep dive for discovery days, I think that would be a real important part of the process. I also think what they what a solution one of the solutions would be is getting a list of questions together that the prospective franchisor, you know, Mary Kay, Mary Kay said, call as many franchisees as possible, the, which is great. I agree with that, and I visit them. But somebody without any experience doesn't know what questions to ask. So if the franchisor really wants to be transparent, give them a list of questions and say, okay, go out and reach out to our franchisees. Here's a, here's a list of sample questions to ask about certain things, whatever the business is. And now that'll stir the conversation because most franchisees that come to me to ask a question usually ask, the first thing they ask is, how much money do you make and how hard is it to work for you? (laughs) (laughs) You know, instead of, and what I I direct them is I sit them down and I say, listen, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you all about the bad things in my business, all all the bad things that could happen, not that they do. And when we're done, you can walk in my shoes with me for a day. And at the end of that, if you still like franchising, that's fine. Then, then this is built for you. But if, if you don't like it or you're not sure, then you should probably look in a different direction. And, and I, I'm very honest with them, and I, and I tell them straight out, it hurts every franchisee when, when their franchisee is underperforming in the business that we own. That's our equity at the end of the day. So what we need is strong franchisees. We need to make them as, 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 as uh, professional as possible and make them have earned wealth and understand that they're not buying a job, but they're buying a small business that's going to earn them some wealth and equity. Excellent advice. Thank you. Sure. Ray? Thanks for the question. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one of the most important things uh, a prospective franchise owner uh, needs to do is due diligence and, and, and to call not only existing uh, owners of, a, of the franchise they're considering, but also owners who have uh, shed the franchise for whatever reason. And in my case, I did. I called five people who were no longer uh, in the franchise, and I asked them, well, why did you leave? And fortunately, none of them said, none of them blamed the franchisor. And but that's something that you need to look for, and basically just talk to everyone and see why uh, certain franchises, uh, you know, certain people dropped the franchise they were in. And, and do you advise people to do the same thing or or not? That's part of no, Ray's uh, rules, absolutely. Right? Well, I mean, that's one of Ray's it, rules. It's actually it's called Ray's rule. Well, it's a good rule actually. So I look at a couple of things. When I look at the litigation, I want to see what that litigation is and see, you know, if it's um, – it could be litigation for underreporting sales, right? Then that's not going to bother me as much. I'm actually kind of happy about that because if I'm buying into a system and they're making sure everybody's reporting their sales, that's not going to turn me off from it. So I would, have, I would suggest both, Ray, like you said, talk to existing franchisees, franchisees that left the business – and any franchisees that are willing to talk about their litigation. Absolutely. I know, uh, and Mary Kay will probably uh, be happy about what I'm about to say, but when I was looking at my uh, franchise disclosure document to buy uh, my franchise, I actually called the, uh, the franchise up and I said, 
you're at that. I don't remember what it, what it was called back then, what chapter it was, or but I said, the there's no litigation in here. There's no litigation in here. I said, you know, I've already reviewed many other uh, uh, FTDs, and they all have, you know, uh, like an inch thick of documents about litigation. And I says, where is, you know, you left it out. What's going on here? And they said, we don't have any. I said, what? <laughs> now I don't know what yep. it is now. It's probably different, but uh, back then that that really impressed me. And it's important. That's something you really got to look at. No, and I agree. And it is impressive. And and the Dwyer Group and and Molly Maids, I mean, and Neighborly now, they're they're a great organization. Yep. Okay, so I'll jump in here. I want to go back to to some about Performax. Um, why do that instead of buying another franchise? I mean, you could have bought another franchise. Uh, um, that would seem, would seem to be something that would be simpler, generate more cash, whereas it seems like um, by starting Performax, it seems like you're, I don't know, you're, you're running into the worst mess that you can run into, kind of like almost like a fire firefighter, run into, run into a burning building. <laughs> what makes you want to run into a burning building of a franchise? So I've been doing this for a very long time, servicing the guests in all my businesses, but also helping other franchisees out. And I decided we, there's a need for this in the industry. Every organization that I've come across has this group of franchisees that are kind of not getting the support they need because the franchisor just doesn't have the resources to, to put the full-time support there. So you know, to go in and try to help somebody who I've been very fortunate. I have three partners in, in, in one company and two in another, and we've been fortunate and successful. But to see somebody who's really trying and, and struggling and doesn't get the assistance they need, I feel that that's where we fit in perfectly. And, and the three of us together are, are, are very passionate about franchising, about the growth of each each other um, brother or sister franchisee, and we, we want to make sure that people are successful because we've been all fortunate to be successful, and we don't want to see an injured, you know, franchisee kind of limping out after they put their life savings into something just because no one really tried to make the fix. Awesome. Yeah. So as kind of a follow-up question, we've, we've had some folks – on and passive, been concerned about uh, the way the government interacts with franchise uh, has been start or in the last couple of years interacting with franchising. Do you see any uh, governmental legislation on the horizon that's cause for concern, or are uh, we headed towards growth? We don't have enough time to talk about the concerns. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so your top two concerns. <laughs> so right, right, right now, joint employer is probably the number one issue, and then predictive scheduling in some states is probably number two for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and those those two are, and, and it's kind of a state by state situation. So depending on what state you're in, they're all different. Right now, New York City is looking at 
predictive scheduling, which I don't know if you guys know what that is, but uh, quickly it's you need to make your schedule in two weeks in advance. And if somebody calls in six, the employer still has to pay them plus has to replace them. Um, and so it's not, it, first of all, in my industry, we're dealing with mostly high school students or, or early college students and doing a two week schedule for somebody is not that easy. Um, and then if they call in sick or if there's a snowstorm, even though it's always sunny on Long Island, um, <laughs> if that goes through, if that, if, if that happens to go through, if there's a snowstorm, I still have to pay everybody that, that doesn't come to work because they wow. were on the predictive scheduling. So that's, that's, that's a heavy cost to the business. I'm all for fair pay for the employees. I, I, want, I try to treat my employees with the utmost respect. I've made my managers my, somewhat my business partners and the fact that some of their salary comes out of EBITDA. So it's not that we're not trying to make people successful within our own organization, but when the government it starts to intervene and tells me that I have to make a two-week schedule and then pay people if they don't show up is a little crazy. And then the joint employer side, that's, that's another one that, that is a struggle because it, I'm actually – my new company would become very successful if it passes because joint employer would mean the franchisor needs to be at arm's length from every franchisee. So, but I don't, want, I don't want that to pass because I, want, I bought into a system and I want the franchisor to be responsible to that system and help me. And a uh, joint employer right now is telling us that they might find that the, the franchisor is actually in charge of my employees that I hire, that I pay. And then if something happens in between us, they're going to be responsible. So they don't want to be responsible for that. I don't want them to be responsible for that. So we're working shoulder to shoulder on that issue to try to get legislation passed that, that takes that away. Oh, we'll have to bring Mary Kay back on and ask her thoughts on joint joint employer uh, joint employer in a couple of minutes. Ray, thoughts, comments, well, uh, questions? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I do. Uh, actually, uh, Mitch won an award in 2015, and I was wondering if you can tell us about the Long Island Business News Corporate Citizenship Nonprofit of the Year Award. Wow, that's a lot. Oh, yes, I did. That's a long That's one. A, so, a um, <laughs> that is a mouthful. So, so that, that award was given to me because of my leadership in the Joy and Childhood Foundation, which was the Dunkin' Donuts, Baskin Robbins Foundation. That's franchisees, vendors, and guests and employees all contribute. And we started back, uh, it's been 12 years now, but we started at 17000 with our first fundraise. And back in 15, I got it to $5.2 million. And then those, that money gets redistributed across the country um, to charities that took care of hungry children and sick children. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, give me a second. Uh, I, I, the only thing we can do, say, on that one is uh, please hold. No. Um, <laughs> for that, you get some applause. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Ah, Holly, now we've had the applause. Step in with your last question. 
All right, my next question is, I want to know what you're going to do next. I mean, I know you've started this company. You've got big plans for it. Um, you know, it, it looks like you've got, uh, you're going to have, an, a, you know, excuse me, a hell of a market uh, to, to, to mentor to just from the existing relationships that you have. And obviously, you know, your word is going to go out very quickly. So what, what are your plans? What is your goal? What do you want this company to look like in the next five years? And before you answer it, uh, because we'll probably end on that. Um, for me, I just want to say it's been an awesome pleasure to meet you, especially to see somebody that is champion. You, you're, you're not bashing the franchise door, and, and a lot of times people on the other side of the coin can do that. You are you are really bringing, I think, both parties together. Your service to me is um, is so, so much needed, and I'd love to see you franchise your service across the country um, to help to help these and franchisors have these relationships uh, together. But go ahead and answer the question. I'm sorry, I had to put that in there. Well, I thank you, but I I appreciate that. So right now we're we're looking to grow slow. We want to have three to four clients in any given year so that we can give them the attention that we have uh, that we can and and make sure that each one is a success story. Um, and what I think will happen as time goes on, we'll be, we'll be able to not only have clients that grow with us, but we'll be able to maintain and retain those clients as we go forward because there'll be a need. And so we might not have a huge book of companies, but we're, the companies we do have are going to be successful and going to want to keep retaining us so that the cycle gets broken. So just to clarify, when you say three to four, Clients, you don't need mean three to four franchisees. You mean three to four franchisors with their bottom quartile. Correct, and it doesn't have to be their bottom quartile. That there's there's a lot of times there's more movement in the B's and the A's um, than there is in the bottom. But the idea is to get the bottom to come up, and we like to do a blend um, of a, of of the different levels of franchisees. But primarily, we're going to spend a lot more time fixing the, the, the lower quartile than we are the middle or the, or the upper quartile. But, but yeah, so it'll be franchisors, and then depending on how many franchisees each franchisor has, that'll be our real client base. But we, we look at each client as an individual franchisor. Wow, that would make you real busy, won't it? Yeah. <laughs> Ray, you well, got your well, last question? I do, I do. I so, wait, so no, I, I wait. Mitch was wait, Ray, wait. Wait. Mitch was going to say something before I got up, sent sent it to you. No, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say. Gonna say I was going to say. I, I. We hope we're busy, but we hope that there's actually a point where the company and the franchisor and the franchisees can make this thing, as Holly said, more of across the country, and and there'll be other people involved with us. Now, Ray. Yeah, so all the franchisors who are out, out there listening and saying, boy, can I use this guy, how do we get a hold of you? How do these franchisors, uh, you know, set up an appointment with you? So uh, they can reach me by email. It's it's pmaxadvisors at gmail.com. Oh, we got to do something about that Gmail, dude. All right. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, we're working on We're getting our website together, too. We got to work on that, dude. It sounds like you need a good marketing firm. Yeah, that's what I'm you thinking. You know anything, so, 
Yeah, I know one or two. That's okay. I know the only one needed. Yeah, that's okay. So we're going to go to the last commercial break. Understand. We're going to go to our last commercial break, and then we'll bring uh, Mary Kay back, and we'll hit a couple of last couple of joint questions and a word from our last sponsor. Zarian Firm International Business Brokers is truly unique in the business resale space. While the average business broker uses one standard multiplier across all businesses and industries to value a business, Zarian Firm is the only business brokerage that looks at the five factors of distinction in each individual business. This gives our sellers a true value and our buyers a fair price. Zarian offers sellers the choice of three marketing packages based on how quickly they want to sell their business but all of our businesses sell 33% faster than the industry norm. Zarian Firm International Business Brokers connects premium investors with validated business opportunities. And we're back and we got Mary Kay back on the uh, call. So, Mary Kay, um, we'll start with the question we had been we talked with we talked with Mitch about um, predictive scheduling and then joint employership. Which one scares you most? Joint employer. <laughs> joint employer um, that could single-handedly take down the franchise model. And it's crazy the, the impetus and, and what's behind it is just nuts. But essentially what it's going to say is that the franchisor is going to be responsible for any, any of the employees that a franchisee hires. And what that's going to require is for the franchisor to have more oversight, and it's going to require the franchisor to charge the franchisee more because that oversight comes with a cost. I mean, it's just crazy. Nobody wants it in the industry. Nobody the, the other the other sad part of that is that when joint employer first reared its ugly head a couple of years ago, franchisors started pulling back on um, what kind of training or support they were offering their franchisees. Um, back in the day, right or wrong, we used to give uh, employee give franchisees templates for an employee handbook that they could customize. And I remember that. Now nobody's doing that now <laughs> because yeah, there yeah. there can't be any perception that um, that that we think that we have sway over uh, franchisees employees. It's just sad. So so <laughs> thank you for this opportunity to talk about the International Franchise Association Franchise Action Network. The Franchise Action Network or FAN is the voice of the franchisees to legislators directly. And it's very, very simple for someone to, uh, to learn how to join it. If your franchisor is already a member of the IFA, there's no cost to the franchisee to get involved. But you can go to franchise.org and then, um, and then look up the Franchise Action Network. And the way that it works, it's very simple. There's um, a big brouhaha in Alabama yesterday, and the IFA and uh, folks from the IFA joined with local franchise owners at the State House in Alabama 
to walk the halls and to testify about a, a, a particularly egregious law that, or um, um, an initiative that was being put forth. And the way that the local franchisees, franchise owners found out about it is because when you join FAN, you're going to get these alerts. And when there is some legislation going forward or being put forth that has to do with small business, then you, if you're a member of FAN, you will receive an email from the IFA that you can customize or you can just say, yes, I'm signing this, send it for me. And they'll send it to your legislator in the House or the Senate, whichever, or at the state level, um, your legislator who needs to hear your voice on these issues. So you don't have to become a whiz about what's going on in the government. You just need to raise your hand and say, I trust that the International Franchise Association has my best interest at heart, and I want to make sure that my voice is heard. I mean, Mitch, uh, I'm sure, goes up to the, the Hill every September. I go up to the Hill every September, and we join hundreds of franchisors and franchisees to walk the halls and have meetings with legislators and tell them, um, why these issues are important to small business. And while it's really exciting and I love to do it every year, the legislators really want to hear from franchise owners. They want to hear from the employers in their community. So yeah, thank you for the opportunity that to say that. Uh, and Mary, I could echo it's so important that the franchisees get involved and, and it works in, in many different ways. So first you learn, if you've never been on the Hill, how to sit down and have that conversation with the legislators and, and talk about the things that are affecting your business. But what you could do is once you get out of D.C., you could actually do it at home when every issue comes up. And what we have to do is do a better job educating the small business people and franchisees that don't realize that these legislative bills are coming out and they're going to affect our business in, in a very negative way. And this is made up of franchisees, franchisors, and people that supply the industry. So we're all working shoulder to shoulder to protect the rights of the franchise community. Yep. That's what you got, Ray. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, uh, you got two great sources there. How can how can I uh, you know compete with that? Uh, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Mary Kay, for for making a, a, a statement. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe mm -hmm. we should. Uh, uh, what do you think, Fred? Uh, Mary Kay, can you state how a person can join the I IFA again? Sure. I was wondering about franchise. the franchise action network. So go ahead. Yeah, that's too. Uh, fran <laughs> franchise dot org is where you'll go. And you know what? As I'm saying this, the International Franchise Association launched a new website this week. <laughs> I'm not sure if Franchise.org still works, but I think it does. So Franchise.org is where you go. And, um, and then you will look up um, Franchise Action Network on that website, and it will walk you through how to get involved. It's very, very simple. In fact, you just apply right there online. And what they want to know is what's your home address, what's your name, what's your home address, I don't even think it asks you what your political affiliation is. It just says, you know, this is your opportunity to stay informed about what's going on in your government, local and uh, or state and national, and then you'll get those opportunities to participate. So franchise.org is the International Franchise Association website. 
Okay. okay. So, Holly, you got one last question? Uh, yeah, I'm, I love that what everybody's working on. It, this seems like a moving group. Um, for our audience out there that are looking at uh, buying a franchise or just looking at this in the beginning, I mean, obviously we have had um, a lot of, of talk today about some of the issues that they can come across, but obviously we, we also addressed how valuable uh, a new franchise is as compared to a business startup. So just um, a last word of advice, if I could get from both of you to um, somebody considering franchising as a business, leaving corporate world or just um, starting out. Mary Kay, do you want to start? Well, I got involved in franchising because I just love the burning in the belly of a local business owner and the, the passion Mitch was talking about it earlier. Um, you, you get into this to be the master of your own domain and to make a difference in your community. And I think that is such a noble, noble effort. I, I love franchising because it affords someone who wants to be, make a difference in their community, affords them an opportunity to ramp up much more quickly than they would if they were trying to do it on their own. And you have an, an, a network of peers who want your success just as much as you do. Right. Great. Thank awesome. you. Okay. What Mitch, do you think? And uh, well, so I would just weigh in. So I agree with everything that Mary just said. And my advice to somebody coming out of the corporate world is stay in the corporate world until your deal is ready to open. Most mistakes happen is because somebody signs a deal, they leave their corporate job. It takes 18 months or, or longer, depending on what you're doing to actually start seeing some revenue, and the next thing you know, you haven't opened the doors yet, you had a permitting issue, and now you're using all your funds that you worked so hard to earn. So I would try to just time it so that you stay in as long as you can while you're working on getting your franchise. And once you get the franchise and the lights are on, that's, you know, just before that, that's when you want to kind of terminate your existing regular gigs so that you can start moving forward if you're actually going to leave the corporate world to do whatever you're going to do. Excellent advice. Awesome. Thank you. All yeah, right, folks. We're about out of time. I want to thank Mary Kay Liston, president of Molly Maid, and Mitch Cohen, CEO of Performax Franchise Z Advisors, and a Jersey Mike Sub uh, franchisee. Next week, we've got Madeline Ross, CEO of Super Slow Zone uh, Franchises, and Erica Feinberg. This has been Pillars of Franchising, broadcasting the secrets of success in franchising. Wishing you a profitable week and do good things. Wow. Great guest. Thanks, Fred. Thanks, Mary Kay. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, guys. Awesome. You guys, you're awesome. awesome. Fantastic. Thank you. Hi, Mary Kay. Pleasure to meet you.